Welcome to yesterday's news today, January 30th, 1905. Tragedy in Russia, as hundreds of innocents have been shot down by the Imperial Guard at St. Petersburg on the 22nd. More news to follow. The world's largest diamond has been found in South Africa at a whopping 3,106 carat. Speeds of over 100 miles per hour were recorded at the Almond Beach automobile races, shattering all previous records. And finally, strange news coming down the wire from a small Welsh seaside town, where residents are reporting mysterious and unidentifiable lights in the sky. The first being reported in December, continuing into the new year. So that was the news as it was this week in 1905, January the 30th. I almost forgot the year. Which means this could only be yesteryear's news today. I'm Johnny. And I'm Shane. Hello. Welcome. You, you always explain it, so I'm going to make you do it again. <laughs> yeah. uh, the concept of our uh, podcast is every week we bring you news we're working our way from 1901 up to the big 2000, starting with the news of the week this podcast goes out, but every week we do a new year. So our first week was first week of January, 1901, and this week we're last week of January. You almost went really Irish there. I know. That was, <laughs> I've never heard that come out. Like, Where did that come from? I don't know, a deep, dark place <laughs> within my genes. It's like yeah. you've been hiding that accent all the time I've known you. Like, <laughs> yeah. It almost slipped. Oh, yeah. All this time you're actually from Roscommon. For, for whatever reason. <laughs> I've been lines. hiding it from you. <laughs> yeah. But I was thinking as well, Like I know it's good to explain every week, because yeah, that, yeah. that rule we talked about. It's, it could but, be each per, uh, person's first time listening to it. Yeah, but it did occur to me, now that the podcast is out there, that there's nowhere online that you can find this. That doesn't have the description written over it. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to download a podcast called Yesteryear's News Today without actually, like, reading... What it's about. Yeah. That's true. Also, I, it's really funny, because, like, the few people who have actually, like, mentioned, like, gave, not feedback, but have mentioned some things about the podcast. Like, it, it's really weird, like, cause somebody said that, you know, the way we explain it is actually very confusing. Yeah, I, ca- I can't find a great way to phrase it. I keep but doing a belly. But you've written it really well. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> on, I can't. On iTunes and I, SoundCloud. I, so I guess we should just read that out, maybe. But no, here's the funny thing, because it was... I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, like, the way you explain it, or, well, the way you explain yeah. it in the second episode was the best way to do that. And then somebody else was like, no, the, yeah, like, I didn't really understand what you meant until, like... I mean, they understood because I told them in person, but they're like, yeah. it was like the third one was where like you should stick with that description because the second <laughs> one was really confusing. So depending uh, on... I, I think the second one is the best, myself. Which is the... I guess I don't know which is which. I just know everybody had a different opinion yeah. on which was the confusing one. But then I was reading... When you put them up online, I was reading it and went, ah, oh, that's a really good way of phrasing exactly what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get online. And when you asked me the question, the first thing I thought was, I must try and quickly get to it and do that and i think i can just talk there for a second distract our audience would you while i google ourselves well i'm editing so i can just cut right to it and <laughs> you'll have just got it really quickly so what it actually says on our soundcloud account is a weekly podcast where we discuss the week's news events from years long past beginning with the week of january 1st 1901 and working our way through the next century one year at a time each week a new year yeah actually that i don't know why we just I haven't been saying that. Yeah, I don't know why not. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like I said, I don't know how for how long do we need to keep the the introduction. Yeah. I think you need to, like... It's a nice I, way to start. Yeah. You see, my, I, I have this worry as well. 
kind of only occurred to me. I don't think like we can't do without the newsreel because that's kind of the, the entire point of the show. But I do worry that somebody listens to it and thinks, "Wow, that's sound quality of this podcast's awful." I worry about that every time I hear listen to a finished episode. Yeah, but how like do we just leave the effect out and just easy kind of need that like I don't know audience we're going to keep doing it why don't you write to us and let us know what you think yeah good yeah be yeah. nice to hear from to make sure people are actually listening to it and it's yeah, not yeah. just <laughs> just one person yeah i guess yeah cuz we have we do have a gmail which yeah. is just yesteryears news today at gmail.com and we have a twitter which is ynt podcast so at ynt podcast and what we Facebook is just yes yes news today as well yeah. yeah okay yeah and so write us on Twitter Gmail or Facebook and tell us what you think so you, far can you send you can just I set up the SoundCloud but I'm still unfamiliar with it can you send just mails can you mail people? I think so yeah okay so on SoundCloud which oh yeah and you'll find us on SoundCloud and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes plug 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 I'm gonna apologise in advance as well like my chair is really squeaky. And I'm too fidgety not to move in it, so yeah, it's yeah. going to have to live with it. <laughs> a squeaky chair. Oh, also, I, I need to mention this too, because listening to the podcasts, it sounds like one of us might be really fat. Cause it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds like somebody's breathing really heavily. That's actually my electric cigarette. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not Johnny going... <sighs> <laughs> I, I still get really nervous when we're doing this and I quit smoking like six months ago but still when, when drinking or when like stressed or nervous or something still crave nicotine so need the electric cigarette while we're um, going back to referencing episodes that have already aired yeah just uh, a new format of the show hey why not start off um, somewhere in like the the second or third I think second um, no third one of them there's only yeah. been four so far uh, we were talking about the ice cream truck. Oh yeah, the mystery ice cream truck. Yeah, yeah. And you compared it. You said it's got that very Stephen King it feel. Oh yeah. And on the first episode, we we're talking about like books that are good for traveling. I was getting a train, and you know, got Stephen King's new book. Well, new, new to me. I, he's probably written like six books since it, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not a horror. It's like a. Dete- it's kind of like it reads very like the Dexter novels. Like, oh okay, yeah, yeah. Kind of a thriller, like a, a noir style thriller, but um, this the killer in it, Mister Mercedes. Mister Mercedes is called, and that's the killer's name, because he done a hit and run thing. Anyway, um, he he drives a an ice cream truck in. It's <laughs> 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 good. That's really funny. And you would know not like I just thought it was funny because you clearly had no knowledge of that when you just said no, it no. Like, it just made me think of a creepy clown like it. Pulling yeah, up yeah. outside your house at night, offering ice cream and nightmares. That'd be a good name. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, anything else? Anything we need to correct or? Um, no, nothing. Nobody's called me out on anything we've said wrong yet. So, like I said, please write to us. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I, like there's stuff I've, there's definitely stuff I've been wrong about. I know. Yeah. Or I mean, even like, even add-ons or advancements or. Yeah. You know. Well, I was wrong about something last week. The or the week before. You know, last week. Yeah. No, the week before last. Sorry, I'm confusing because last week we were talking about wrestling. But in the week before that, we, when we were talking about Houdini, and I was saying about like David Blaine redoing, recreating the punch, the gut punch. Oh yeah. And uh, he done it with Rampage Jackson. It wasn't. It was Kimbo Slice. Just not uh, that that's an important. That wasn't part of history. <laughs> but, um, that was the fact you had wrong. Yeah, yeah. 
It was it was Phil that taught me it was Kimbo. Oh yeah. And there's stuff I can't remember if we mentioned. Like I know I, we were talking about William Randolph Hearst buying the New York World after Pulitzer died, but I think oh, during yeah. that we said I said I, I think I'm making this up. Yeah. Turns out I was making it up with somebody <laughs> else. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't. There hasn't been. Uh, there's definitely stuff we've gotten wrong. Or yeah, yeah. I'd say more. I'd say what we're most guilty of is like leaving out important elements of stories. Yeah. Like, that we're like, oh, here are the facts, and leave out something very, very important, mm. or just because we just read what was interesting to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So or it's like, but but he killed him after that. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything else? No, no, not at all. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was our hardly interesting intro. <laughs> I don't know what story comes first. Four, four good ones. There. Four good stories. Yeah. How about you do one, then I'll do one, and then you do one again. Yeah, I I'll guess. Do one, and then you finish up. Well, okay, well then I think start with the biggest, as in biggest in historical relevance, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, go for it. But, and this one, I was kind of reluctant to even talk about this, because it seems it, like it's still... A lot of people would know about it. Yeah, and like, so I'm not going to talk about it for, because, yeah, I'll just touch on it, just because... There's a lot of info out there about this, but... Yeah, and you have, to, you kind of, you have to mention it, because it's such a big thing. But also, the fact that this, I think this is probably the first, like, huge event that we've landed on uh, like an anniversary of so i imagine like discovery channel their like channel of podcasts probably have an entire special on the blood the sun the bloody sunday massacre this week (laughs) like so a huge event the bloody sunday massacre happened on the 22nd of january so earlier this week in 1905 and that's a huge event because it's that kickstarted a revolution in russia even though it, like, it was never meant to. It was, it was a peaceful protest. And what happened? It was a, an unarmed demonstration that was led by uh, a guy called Father Capon. Like I said, peaceful protest and were fired upon by soldiers. Some fired warning shots, then they, they reckon, you know, the un, untrained ones might have panicked and shot into the crowd. Yeah, just complete chaos. But yeah, so it was led by this priest, and the purpose was that they just wanted to present a petition to Tsar. Uh, Romanov, who is the emperor, and yeah, that's really all. Like, well, his backstory is that Russia was in an awful state, or at least the people were, because there was a war. They were in. They just went to war with Japan, and like at the end, they had interests in the Far East. I think it was more like China they were interested in, but ended up in a war with Japan. Right. The people were the ones suffering, of course, like no, like food shortages and yeah, what happens with every war only much worse. Yeah, eventually, uh, people just got fed up. And well, they weren't even fed up. Like it, it wasn't like they were they, they were all marching to like remove him for power or anything. They were just marching. Like it, it was like in in North Korea, like the way you have Kim Jong Un, like where the people oh, see yeah. him as like as a great man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in in Russia, like the emperor was seen as like well closer to the Pope actually. I guess better because like he was the closest to God and stuff. Oh yeah. So they still like the people in Russia didn't think that. Tsar, Tsar. So it's always hard to say that name. Like. Yeah, yeah. But um, they, they didn't think they thought he was like unaware of the people's struggles because he would okay, never yeah. allow it. So yeah, like when they like the protest, they were like singing and carrying pictures of him and stuff. He oh, they're like, like, we love our emperor, but oh, we he, hate the situation. They're like presenting the petition to him, trying to get him to make be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. That, well, yeah. at least that's in their mind. I, I don't think Father Capon Capon taught that you know, he was oh, yeah. a more more educated man but just i guess backstory on 
Zara, like Zara is that's um just that's emperor and it, the name is affixed to the emperor so it's roman of nicholas the second that's who was emperor and he like he you know the the romanov dynasty had ruled russia for like 300 years before him and he was the last emperor took the throne in like 1894 and you know so he's like grand duke of finland and king of poland and all that as well but one of the reasons like he was pretty awful was like, his son alex was really sick like just a really sickly kid who was like again what <laughs> i'm making this up <laughs> but you know was gonna like die before his fifth birthday like and so you know that played on him quite a bit the the idea that his bloodline would die like oh, okay yeah that's sort of where a lot of his problems came because you know left him like plagued with this fear that the line wouldn't continue so he fell under like influence of people like Rasputin <laughs> yeah because um, Rasputin used to like that's oh, I feel like I, I said we weren't going to go into this long <laughs> and I feel like I'm already going in tangents but or really quick like Ron's, Rasputin you hear him like the mad monk but he was like into yeah. al- alchemy and all that so yeah, he, was, yeah. uh, he was the carer of the kid like and he there was one night I, I, I have no idea when this takes this happens it's just a story I heard before but they were off traveling somewhere and the kid Alex was really sick and doctors came to see him and you know he was going to die and he was told like they had to say their goodbyes to him and they got in touch with Ross Putin the wife did and I think her name is Alexander I should have wrote that down sorry <laughs> they got in touch with Ross Putin to ask him well, could he come and see to the child and he was just like no there's no need he's going to be fine and he started like saying when he'd start to come around and then like he did yeah. And but he, the doctors assured them the kid was gonna die. So I don't know. He just got lucky, but like they put ultimate trust in him. Oh, okay, yeah. And you know, you, you hear now a lot of like that he was an advisor, and that's why they were dragged into these wars. A lot of that's been exaggerated. Just, yeah, yeah, he didn't really. But in this period, like they were very trusting of him. But yeah. anyway, so just that's kind of one, one. That's just one of the reasons why. J- just to jump in there, is that the same? Rasputin, who has the legendary story of they couldn't kill him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they shot him, hung him, and then drowned him or something. Like. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the full story. I, it, it's just another one. Yeah, exaggeration. I know it from, uh, like, from being referenced in like comic books and they stuff just, like that. It's just that they like they just tortured him. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. really survived it. He did like crawl away, like. He, yeah, he, you can see he was a tough son of a bitch. Yeah, you can see why it would be exaggerated. Like it is, there is parts where like that is a bit odd. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know enough about it to really comment on it. Like, yeah. but it would be cool. Like at least that's something that'll come up. Like there'll be loads of stuff <laughs> with Rasputin and Sarah yeah. to come. So yeah, it'd be we'll come across them again. But that's why he was doing a bad job. But they were still like he, he's he's emperor. Like they had faith in him. But just to wrap up very quickly, so. Father Dupont was uh, an orthodox priest and headed like government-sponsored unions, the assembly of the factory and mill workers or something. And so he just, yeah, he made a petition looking for just pretty much basic civil liberties. Yeah. Like, like they wanted like fair wages. <laughs> like, that's what they Simple were stuff. For. Like. And so they organized this protest for uh, the 22nd and, you know, had women and children leading it. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, and we're all like it was a bunch of different different groups of protests and we're all going to meet at the winter palace yeah and the larger and larger the the group grew the 
more and more soldiers came. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they got antsy, fired a few warning shots, like I said, and then they say it was the untrained ones. Yeah, that, once one know, shot went off, then they all panicked yeah, and kept firing more. And it was like it was in another part of the city where the big one happened, where the Imperial Guard opened fire on Father Capone's group, and with that that instant alone, they killed forty and like injured hundreds. Well, wow. by the end of the day, they killed two hundred and injured <laughs> and injured injured about like a thousand eight hundred i think is the actual number and right. there's some terrible stories they just went a bit nuts like yeah, yeah, yeah like horrible incident but you don't really get away with that so. no so like the results comp- all faith in zara was lost and you know done equal damage overseas for the rest of the world like you know it didn't exactly help russia's sort of the idea of russia being a backward country yeah, which it might never have got away from that because of oh, that yeah, incident. Yeah. yeah, and protests just erupted throughout the country and began the the nineteen oh five revolution, or strikes throughout Petersburg, like where the peasants down the country burnt down landlords' homes, young men were out like assassinating political leaders. And there was a general strike in October where the entire country just was brought to its knees. Because like no, but like you know, trains sat still, like nowhere oh, yeah. open, like there was nobody working, and yeah, that was really well. Well, well <laughs> just end it there without it. Well, like Nicholas caved and issued the October Manifesto, and that's yeah. where you know, he acknowledged some some. I don't for the most part, like he gave into the demands of the original petition. Oh, gave them stri- <laughs> striking rights. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was short, like it was short enough lived, but. You see, the problem, like, it could have, the revolution could have done more. The the big problem with it was, there was no leader. Like, it oh, was just, okay, it was disorganized chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you have no leader, individuals are very easily bought. Like, you need, like, yeah. any revolution, for a revolution to succeed. Like, I mean, not just a leader, like, one leader. You need a leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it didn't have any, like, and, yeah, and that's pretty much... My my knowledge of Bloody Sunday comes from school, like it's just oh, yeah. basic. I something like probably should know more about. But there you go. There's a bit about it. you can. Yeah, there's going to be loads of that this week. Yeah, sure. Big event in history. Like um, Dan. I'm sure Dan Carlin probably has like an like an odyssey through the entire history of Russia. Oh yeah. So That's... you shouldn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, uh, nobody's ever going to choose us over Dan Carlin, so I don't uh, mind yeah. mentioning that's that. That's okay. I don't think I got anything wrong during that, because there wasn't enough info there to get Yeah, yeah you keep it short and sweet. Yeah. But, I know, but the, the, I'm sure there's so much there's so much about it left out, but we could sit here for the next five hours talking about it. I think my knowledge of that entire... Come, like, I know, like, I was saying, like, yeah, like, he caved in, and, you know, the revolution essentially ended there. But he, he only bought himself some time, like, just yeah. 12 years later, things go to crap again there. So yeah. when we get to that point, 12 episodes from now, because whatever date we land on, there will be news. There'll be something about yeah, it. Yeah, so we can talk more about that then. And I'll probably know more about that than I do this. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Very good. I have a really interesting story from the 26th of January in 1905. The world's largest diamond, known as the Cullinan Diamond, was found in uh, South Africa. And it is to this day still the largest pure gem quality diamond. That's called, it's a non-carbonado. 
basically means there's no carbonado is like a kind of black diamonds and they almost look like purified coal right so there's plenty plenty of diamonds being discovered that kind of size but they're not of a pure kind of gem quality things like that. so this is the first one that was fa- or it's still to this day the largest white diamond it was found in the premier number two mine near uh, pretoria in south africa it weighed in in carrots 3106.75 carrots which is roughly 1.37 pounds a little over 600 grams was it's kind of rough weight and it's about 10 centimeters long and it's largest dimensions and stuff but what they did is that's like a rough uncut diamond right and then they cut it into nine pieces to break down into be polished shiny diamonds as you see with their sharp diamond edges and stuff because it just looks like a big lump of glass before it's cut and that kind of stuff so it was cut into nine pieces all named cullinan one to cullinan nine and one being the largest piece working their way down to cullinan uh, nine the largest piece which is cullinan one is also known as the great star of africa and that is 106.8 grams uh, sorry 0.08 grams and it's it's still the largest white diamond at, at that state size even though that was cut out of this original uncut diamond they found it's still the largest even right. though it's cut and it now sits on they're all part it's part of the crown jewels in england and it's part of what's it, the scepter of the cross which is like there's loads of paintings of kings with and stuff and it was yeah. first awarded to uh king henry the seventh or king edward the seventh sorry in around 1905 and stuff there was loads of disputes of whether he was going to accept it and all this kind of stuff and winston churchill got involved at the time and he eventually accepted it and uh, winston churchill was given a replica of it and stuff which he like showed off to people all the time like <laughs> look at my replica of the diamond and stuff like that. but just to give you a little bit of history of like how it was found and stuff it was found by frederick wells who was the superintendent of the mine and he did like daily inspections and when he first found it he thought it was like glass in the smoke he saw like a bit of light caught something shining yeah, yeah, yeah. and he thought like oh that size it has to be a bit of like glass and figured it was one of the miners just messing with him because they knew he did his daily inspections around there because it was like so big that he pulled it out with his pocket knife because he's just <laughs> like oh it's just a bit of glass it's like those those bastards messing with me again kind of attitude and he pulled out this like 600 gram <laughs> uncut diamond and then it was when it was tested then they found some imp- tiny impurities in it and it was believed by the guy who tested it that it was part of a larger piece or that it had broken like it had been a much larger uncut diamond that right. had been broken apart by the natural stresses of the earth and so it started this like whole fury of miners and the miner trying to find the other piece thinking there was another one equal the same size because your man frederick wales who found it he was rewarded like two thousand five hundred pounds at the time for finding it which was a lot of money back then and so i get that right two thousand five hundred Sorry. I was found if you say I could be making this up before it. Sorry, 3,500. Huh? Sorry, sorry, I had my figure wrong. I knew I had that wrong. when I, I didn't say it with confidence. You got 3,500 pounds, which was probably like a year's wage as like a bonus. Yeah. Right then. Uh, if you think back to well, a few like, years ago, we were talking about Minnie, who was the postmaster. She got like 1,500 a year. Yeah, yeah. Or if you think like with Hackenschmidt and Gotch in their rematch, you know, one was paid 12 grand and one was paid 11. And they yeah. were like celebrities at the time, so that's like you know, yeah, the yeah. guy getting the serious a fighter money. getting five million now for so yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was so a lot of money. To, what did you say he was? Three thousand five hundred pounds. So, yeah, that's just for finding it. It was named after the mine's owner, who was Sir Thomas Cullinan, and the diamond was purchased by. 
this is now when it's cut as uh, Cullinan 1, which is like the 106 gram cut diamond, which yeah, ended up yeah. in the crown jewels. That was purchased by the Transvaal Colony government for 150,000, and which is, and then it was insured for 10 times as much before it was eventually put into the scepter and then rewarded to uh, King Edward. And today, if you were to get the di- just the diamond by itself, it'd be worth about two billion. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it was only ever being surpassed in size by a golden diamond, which was found in the sister mine, because this is found in Premier Number 2 and in Premier Number 1, so it's basically the same mine, just yeah. different entrance kind of base camps. And that's a diamond called Golden Jubilee Diamond, which was found in 1985. And that's a little bit bigger, but only slightly. But that's not a pure white diamond. That's like a gold diamond. And it was only like 10 grams bigger or something. Right. Can I, do you know why King Edward? Why, why was um, debated? There was, there was a bit of a, there was a little bit of a war going on. And there was things that he felt. Uh, it was the Transvaal colony government who wanted to reward it to him. But they we're trying to break away from yeah, yeah, England yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But then they thought, no, it would be nice to give it to him. And I think it was kind of a good faith thing. Yeah, and he yeah. felt like he didn't deserve it. Uh, but Churchill kind of came along and went, no, no, this is a good thing. You deserve this. And so I think he just wanted a replica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But it's a little bit of one of the, uh, there's a much bigger story there of stuff that I don't know about. So yeah, yeah, not <laughs> like you were saying, <laughs> there's plenty about the revolution. You didn't know that much about, but no, I just find it really interesting. It's like that it's, it's still to this day, the biggest diamond ever found and cut. And like that there's nine pieces that are broken down into other bits of jewelry and that kind of stuff. But the biggest piece is Cullinan one or the great star of Africa. And, uh, both of them actually even the golden jubilee diamond is also part of the crown jewels now as well okay yeah even though it was found in 85 but it's funny like just the concept that the, the diamonds are worth so much isn't yeah. it, it, it it's it's, it's made up market value oh it's, yeah yeah it's just well, it's yeah. mad it's like, bonkers. Cause, like what you said they're worth what 2.5 billion now or big 2 billion now dollars it'd be worth about yeah. 2 billion dollars but really it's actually worth nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well yeah that's just the value people the, have put on it but yeah. it's just it's like i know everything technically like, you know like, everything's got arbitrary like rules oh but, yeah yeah but it's not like but very, it's, two billions worth of resources were put yeah, into yeah, it yeah. or you know but it's also it's just it's a it's a very recent monetary value as well yeah yeah it's just it's just odd but do you like your engagement ring like stuff or any, like, I, I, you see, I have no idea like about jewellery or like even the oh, worth yeah. of no, uh, no uh, my fiance wanted uh, amethyst stone because it's her birthstone rather than a diamond okay. see, that, from what I know like from what I don't know there's levels of purity because mm. you get some impurities of other elements and stuff get into them or like I was talking about the carbonado so you get you might get like a really nice diamond but it has a bit of carbonado in it um, which just decreases the value a bit and things yeah, like that so yeah. so you might have like a really really big rock on your finger and it might be worth like four grand and then someone might have a much smaller one and it could be worth ten grand yeah, just because yeah. it's the purity of the diamond and that kind of stuff so it kind of depends but this thing is yeah, like yeah, this yeah. one uh, this Cullinan one was like really really pure and that's that's why it's still the largest that's what I'm saying like the even the golden jubilee diamond wouldn't be worth any as near the same value yeah yeah I seen this thing it could have been like a BBC documentary where they went to this Russian uh, factory where they, they've pretty much 
they, they've discovered how to just make 100% pure diamonds from scratch. Yeah. Like any size. And it, it, it takes them weeks, like, but they can, like, or they will get to a point where they can mass produce them. And the guy had, like, a small one made, took it to a jeweler's or whatever you somebody who tested it yeah. determined it was 100% pure um, and then I asked him how much he'd get for it and he said nothing <laughs> because women don't want one that was created in a lab oh yeah yeah <laughs> like it has to like it has to have that value implemented on it from where yeah. it came from where it came from did it come from South Africa yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like to give you a difference there the golden jubilee diamond which is 109 Point one three four grams, so like one gram bigger than the other one, but because it's a golden rather than a white uh, diamond, is valued between. And this gives you even better idea of like how diamonds are valued. Apparently, the estimated value is between four and twelve million dollars, right. and it's this, and it's it's slightly bigger than the uh, Cullinan diamond. Yeah, yeah. And they're the two biggest diamonds in the world, and one is worth up to two billion. The other one is worth up to twelve million. That's crazy. Just because of the purity of the milk. Yeah, yeah. Huh? But that's from from what I do know is like a lot of like even your regular diamonds that would be say considered engagement ring sized, which is quite small. The mirror diamond or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that loads of diamond mines and stuff. They they hold onto their stock. Oh yeah. And yeah, hide yeah. them and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. There's actually like um to increase the value of what's out there. Yeah. That like diamonds aren't actually as rare as they're perceived to be. It, they're and it's not just that they're not as rare. They're not rare at all. But it's just the value we put on diamonds. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like, because you always hear, like, people, you know, when they get engaged and do get, like, you know, cause, you know that thing that, what is it, a month's salary or, like, 10% of your year's salary is what, traditionally, the guy, maybe it was just an American thing. Well, right, yeah. Do I have that right? Is that a thing? Isn't it is what? Like, like an engage, isn't that some tradition, like, a tradition that's existed since, like, 1938 <laughs> oh yeah that uh, you know it's a month's salary that pays for oh yeah, uh, yeah you're supposed to spend a month's salary yeah yeah, yeah. i forgot where i was going with that why i oh, started yeah. saying it I, I i took advantage of that that i was working only part-time about 20 hours a week when i proposed <laughs> 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 so i didn't spend that much <laughs> well, yeah, but then that's what i was saying like yeah when people when you hear so you know, i've known guys who have like bought the real the expensive ring and their yeah, justification yeah. was that you know it's also an investment because you know it can like Incre- increase in value or... yeah and if things didn't work out even you know you could sell it which is not the way you should be thinking if you, <laughs> no. when you buy an engagement ring i think it's already doomed if that's oh, yeah, yeah. but um but they don't increase in value like the, when you sell an engagement ring you get like a third of what you fed for yeah it. yeah like, it's a made-up value like but the, the other side of that is like i know good few couples and i like i know say the guy would tell me how much he spent on a ring mm. but it might be like say he might have gotten a very simple ring that mightn't look as valuable except he went for like the more expensive diamond so she's walking around with like five grand in her hand ten grand in her hand she doesn't think it's that she doesn't even know how much it's worth because he bought it like in secret or you know as a yeah, total yeah. surprise so she hasn't a clue how much it's worth <laughs> walking around with it and imagine every time she's like leaves the house he's just really nervous <laughs> Yeah, but that's interesting, especially like oh, just when you go into the background to what goes on just to get those diamonds oh, yeah. over to us. Like it's yeah. watch what, the watch the film Blood Diamond. That's I was about to say that my yeah. my knowledge of it does just pretty come much from yeah, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, no, well I've heard I've heard it from other things. Ah, I've read yeah, other yeah. stories and stuff, but 
Well, uh, I take, like, I, I take uh, everything Leonardo DiCaprio is in, I assume it's one of true fact. Yeah. <laughs> and Billy Zane, like, I mean, he's pretty... Yeah, yeah. I truly believe the fandom happened <laughs> in the four, it was 50s, I think. Yeah. Or was it the 20s? I can't remember. Yeah, I guess 20s. I think it's more 20s. Yeah, it has that sort of noir... Yeah. Like, yeah. that one doesn't, but sort of the, the idea of yeah, the phantom. Yeah. The original Batman. That's it. It was yeah. written before Batman, wasn't it? I always yeah. remember that was part of their advertising campaign when the movie came out. He's like the first superhero. Yeah, yeah. Do I imagine who would he, would he have predated the spirit? I don't know. Interesting. Maybe somebody can tell us. Yeah, write in and let us know. You could just Google. But I don't have internet, so well I do, but I don't have it right. <laughs> wi Fi's not working. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know why. It's really annoying because like there's some stuff I want to talk about. I might get it. We still have some time. Oh yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, the story of the world's largest diamond. That's a good one. Do you want to hear about like maybe the, the first UFO sightings? To, oh, really? At least the first UFO sightings to sort of make the papers. Now, I say that, but in none of the articles I actually read, did they, like, the, the concept of a UFO or aliens hadn't really entered the public consciousness yet. Yeah. Even though, like, you know, H.G. Wells had written stuff but not quite like today where that was the first thing they went to so it was just like mysterious lights in the sky they don't call it ufos but like it's unidentified lights or something oh yeah, yeah. Used. ufl yeah like there was no no description of ships well so this is no i'm gonna get a lot of like pronunciation here is gonna be difficult cause okay it's, yeah, yeah. it's welsh like we always struggle with names yeah so i'm the same there well the Welsh language, my only reference point is like Lord of the Rings. It's like Elvish and Lord of the Rings. Sound like yeah, because it's so different from Irish. Oh, yeah, it's so different from Irish. Even though language. they're meant to be both Celtic languages, it's so yeah, far but from it. It's way different. Like, talking like base, like all the, a lot of the, the Elvish language he makes up in that, like its basis is on Welsh speak. Oh, yeah. So, so like a lot of names of towns, like I will just. If I see them written and it's Welsh, I'll just think, how would that be said if it was somewhere in Lord of the Rings? Yeah. So uh, this is a, a, a village called Edgerine. Edgerine. Uh, E-G-R-Y-N. If that was Lord of the Rings, I would think it'd be Edgerine. Yeah, yeah. But, so, and the story's It's probably Edrin. Edrin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I guess, like, considering we're doing audio, probably doesn't hurt to phonetically say it. Like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the, and it's called the, the Edrine Lights, so, and sometimes called the Harlick Lights, or the Harlick Light Flap, and Harlick, like, that's def, that sounds like, yeah. or no, I guess Harlech, that sounds, or, could be Harlech, that sounds Celtic, but Harlech sounds more Lord of the Rings, so, <laughs> it's one of them. Um, Which is your reference point. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, like, that's a town nearby, and so this is this unexplained light phenomenon that occurred in... The region in North Wales in 1905, of course. Pr- pretty much what happened, like, one day... Well, this is a description from the time. So, like, one day this huge arc, like a kind of aurora, was seen spanning from the mountains into the sea. After that, the lights came. At the time, there was a religious revival which had been started by Mary Jones, who preached at the small chapel in Edrine between Barmouth and Harlech. The lights soon came to be associated with the revival. So that's the basic story. So, uh, uh, yeah, a, a revival is yeah. it's a a church revival, like in True Detective. 
it's the second time I've referenced <laughs> it's true to death. <laughs> um, but you know it had been in a church and like the revival tents there oh yeah yeah but um, so like I've got another this is another eyewitness report going to be a lot of eyewitness reports here because that's what makes this story interesting it's just how many people saw this so according to one eyewitness between us and the hills apparently two miles away there suddenly flashed forth an enormous luminous star with intensely brilliant white light and emitting from its whole circumference dazzling sparkles another said it was poised in midair a mass of fire of every conceivable color spreading on all sides and ascending into a rainbow shower to the surface of the mountain so now that they were that was about the first sight and so already yeah. that sounds a bit weird <laughs> but mary jones was mentioned there and mentioned in the, the newsreel at the start so just to give a tiny bit of info on her she was just just a random person pretty much just like a 30 something 38 year old i think housewife and she had like somebody we mentioned before had experienced some visions oh, this yeah. time of jesus and shortly after the visions, or short, she'd experienced these visions shortly after the lights started to appear. And after she, she was one of the first to witness them. And so that led to her to become a, a big figure in a Christian revival in the region. And, you know, people believe the lights give her divine guidance. Uh, okay. And that's, it sounds like, like it's absolute nonsense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... It's why it's crazy. Like, it's absolutely. Did she not... just start doing miracles and supposedly and stuff? Well, or... She was just preaching, but like, just the fact that people were seeing, like, it just it sounds bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it, it like it is just a weird story because that wasn't the first time. Like, the area has a actually had a history of strange lights. Like, yeah. going all the way back to sixteen ninety three. Like this, wow. there was a story very similar to this, and in. This time the light started in 1963 and was reports all the way up until 1694 and that's when it ended. So that's that's odd in itself. But the one in the in the in the 17th century gets it just sounds sounds quite weird. Like well, or their accounts sound weird. And at the time it was called the Harlech Meteor, and yeah, know, meteor being a general name for any unexplained light at the time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But also, what we now know to be meteors probably were spotted then, and called and called meteors as well. Oh, they okay, yeah, they yeah. meant something else. They didn't know they were actual meteors because they didn't find anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like there was this. Um... Well, I know that there's there's a lot of meteors just break up in the atmosphere and they never actually hit the ground. Mm. They just kind of explode when they reach certain temperatures and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I guess like back then. People, there have been people who just want to know the, the difference between different light phenomena in the sky. Oh, yeah. What was what? Like a, a meteor was an act of God, and the lights were an act of God. And but in the the one in sixteen ninety four, like in the winter, the description is crazy. A pestilential vapor resembling a weak blue flame arose during a fortnight for three weeks out of a sandy, marshy tack called Morphobiden. See, another Lord of the Rings. And crossed over a channel of eight miles to Harlech. It set fire to sixteen ricks of hay and two barns, one filled with hay, the other with corn. It infected the grass in such a manner the cattle died. 
yet men eat of it with impunity. It was easily dispelled, and a great noise, sounding of horns, discharging of guns at once, repelled it, moved only by night, and appeared at times, but less frequently. After that, it disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing description. That sounds bonkers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, the part about like the loud, loud noise and uh, loud noises repelling it and like it poisoning grass and stuff like this light yeah, emitting yeah. from this sounds like the fog or something. It sounds like radiation or something. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's mad. And then like this, a few decades later, this guy John Mason Neal uh, wrote uh, *The Unseen World*. He describes the same incident after recounting his own experience, and he would, and he him calling a, a will o' the wisp. Do you know Will of the Wisp? Do you have that no. up here? Cause that, that's weird. No, yeah, because you don't have bogs, I guess. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, we have, he's like, a little lower from. Yeah, yeah, it's like you know, it comes from Celtic mythology, and he's one of the good people, as in the name given to those otherworldly beings. From awfully so, we you bogs surrounding it, but you sometimes you would see like this uh, a light yeah. in the distance in the bog. And, you know, it's meant to be Will-O-The-Wisp with his lantern, and he would lead, like, drunken men <laughs> would follow him. Oh, I have heard before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The f- closer you get to it, the fur he'd run away, and, you know, he'd fall into a bog hole and die, essentially. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it exists, it's in, like, German folklore. But it was just a general... They, not that they believed this was Will-O-The-Wisp, it would just call... Oh, phenomenon. yeah, it's a wisp, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go back to John Mason. Neil... Or Nial, uh, his so his description of a less innocent kind was the celebrated Harlech meteor of 1694 between Harlech and the Cairnshire side of Trat Bicon intervenes a, a low range of marshland running up some way into the country just before Christmas of 1693 a pale blue light was observed to come across the sea apparently from the Cairnshire coast and moving slowly from one part of the neighbouring country to another to fire all the hayricks and some of the barns which it approached it never appeared but at night at first the country people were terrified of it at length taking courage they ventured boldly close to it and sometimes into it to save if it might be their hay as as summer came on (laughs) instead of appearing almost every night its visits were confined to once or twice a week and almost always on Saturday and Sunday. It now began to cease from firing ricks, but was was hurtful in another manner, for it poisoned all the grass on which it rested, and a great mortality of cattle and sheep ensued. Storm or fine weather seemed to make no difference to this meteor, but any loud noises of shouting, firing a gun, same thing. I, I just realised I probably shouldn't have read both of them, but yeah. to verify, like, there's... Are they, are they saying it, came, it comes regularly? Yeah, yeah. Like it happens every like every week. No, well, no, it happened every week between like it happened every week on these years. But then, it, like, no, it, this is sixteen. This is sixteen. Yeah, yeah, but like there was a period where it just happened all the time, and then it didn't happen for happened years. For a and few years. days, then happened weekly, then less and less, and then that's yeah. bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Because first you go, oh, maybe there's like methane gas break, breaking out of somewhere, or. Uh, but the fact yeah. is, it seems so regular intervals. It's mad. Even That's, if it's a meteor shower coming for a while, it's still what's there that, like, sounds crazy. And like methane gas is like that. I mean, that's probably that's the explanation I've always sort of taken for the whole will of the wisp thing. Like or just yeah, like, yeah. general swamp gas. Swamp gas. Yeah, yeah. 
And at least, like, kind of... Because the way they describe, like, the blue light, as if it hovers in the air, like... Because they say it yeah. poisons the grass. So that sounds more like a, a rolling fog than a light. It's yeah, like, yeah. It sounds like it, could, it still could be a gas, and it's just whatever way the light is at that period. It illuminates... I don't... Yeah, it definitely sounds, sounds yeah, weird. Yeah. But, well, we'll we, we can get to... Because I'm just going to come back to 1905 because I just want to do a quick time, yeah. timeline so to give you an idea of how this unfolded so first on January 2nd a man sees three lights in formation that's why I described earlier the arc like what is described is probably the same sight and a woman saw lights between two places er- in early January 2 and so on the 5th of that month Mary Jones who started a revival she was attending a meeting and on the way home, the train driver reports seeing a strange light shooting out of ten different directions and then coming together with a loud clap. So that doesn't came from ten different directions <laughs> into one. Yeah, like so it was like ten shooting. Uh, that sounds like the opposite of what a meteor shower would be like. It'd be more like one yeah, breaking yeah. into ten. Also, like this, it can't like. So they all sound like different. T- like their descriptions. Are they bad. don't sound like the same phenomenon. Yeah, at all. yeah, and and like it was after that a strange light was also reported near the same place and on the 13th uh Cambrian news publishers or published uh the first mention of the lights in the press then on the 16th mary jones writes a letter to the papers saying uh she'd seen several lights at several different times and started about six weeks ago that was what we heard at the start and then on the 31st Brian Evans sees five separate lights with Mary Evans around the chapel where the revival was. And he went on to write a famous article about these events, which was published on the 9th of February in the Times. And like, so the lights did actually start earlier than that, but yeah, oh, yeah. I, I've cheated enough. Like, they actually started in December, and we kind of talked about it already. Like Mary Jones leaving her chapel, she saw Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's January's when it starts, like, getting to the press and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, like, the, the the media started, like, taking loads of notes of it. I've got a whole timeline written down here. I don't want to just go into it, so we might put it up, like... Yeah, we but, can put it up on the Facebook page, or... But to really, like, so, all throughout February, like, from the 9th to the 20th, there was loads of sightings, like, all different people, and they sent down, like, they sent a, da- a Daily Mail reporter was sent down, and he claimed to see it himself. There was... Oh, it's like, there's so much to it, like, it's like the Buried Alive story, where there's no point telling everybody's story, because they're all the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, but, like, just take my word for it. An insane amount of people claimed to have seen this light, but, oddly, they were seen during the revivals a lot. Yeah. And some people saw them, and some people didn't. Okay. And that's where you start to question it completely. So you have, like, 50 people, and 20 of them can see all these mad lights in the sky um, oh like at the same time yeah, they're yeah, all standing there together yeah, kind of thing yeah and then there's another 30 people who are just like what are you on about yeah yeah so it's the same when you see people like it, it sounds like people you know speaking it's in s- tongues and it sounds stuff. like a kind of hysteria kind of thing yeah the only odd thing is the fact like that a lot of the newspapers were sort of sent down they sent journalists down to sort of dispel these crazy rumours that were coming out but they ended up getting reports of the journalists seeing the lights. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's so a quote from the Daily Mirror, a, a Daily Mirror reporter. It took the form 
of a bar of light, four feet wide, within a few yards of the chapel. For half a moment it lay across the road and it extended itself up the wall on either side. It did not rise above the walls. As I stared fascinated, a kind of quivering radiance flashed with lightning speed from one end of the bar to the other. The whole thing disappeared. Look, look, cried two women standing just behind me. Look at the light. I found they had seen exactly what had appeared to me. Now comes a startling sequel. Within ten yards of where the band of vivid light had flashed across the road stood a little group of fifteen or twenty persons. I went up to them to hear exactly what they thought of the manifestations, but not one of those I questioned had seen anything at all. Wow, okay. So he himself claims he like he saw it. But yeah. he's acknowledging that other people didn't see it, so that so weird <laughs> but mary jones was like you know she she talks about on one dark night she was walking down a country road and she said she encountered a shadowy vague figure that turned into a dog and chased her <laughs> so i think it's safe to say so like, she's claimed a few things yeah uh, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna like just assume mary jones was mad <laughs> I think it's a fair statement oh, yeah. and they're definitely like from reading all that to me like there definitely was a, just a hysteria there like crazy sounds like horror. maybe there was the earlier ones from what did you say 16 16 like 94 yeah, yeah. The did they sound like some kind of like swamp or yeah, bog yeah. gas the, the idea that it it harmed cattle mm. to me almost sounds like the gas is quite heavy and sits lower to the ground so men pick up, oh, the cows are eating this grass and they're dying. And then they pick up the grass and, like, taste it. And they're like, well, I'm still alive. But yeah, because they weren't yeah. breathing the gas down at yeah, ankle exactly. height where the cows were when they were eating. You know, th- yeah, well, that's like what that, that sounds like, like to me. What, like, radiation, like, within 24 hours of, like, yeah, an actual spill on soil. Like, once it doesn't, st- like, you know, uh, like, acid rain, like, within 24 hours the yeah. soil should be fine <laughs> like, yeah it'll wash out again yeah. when you were first describing it to me I was thinking of the the oh what is it the Tunguska event in Russia oh yeah because yeah, yeah. um, that's it sounded like descriptions of what people yeah, saw like yeah. this bright light in the sky and all this kind of stuff but actually I had a quick look of, look it up there while you were explaining stuff there and that was 1908 it wasn't 1905 because right. I remember seeing a documentary about the Tunguska event and it was talking about uh, how it was seen for miles like people saw it like the whole like loads of like northern Europe all across like people saw it yeah. uh, the lights from it but still to this day nobody's sure exactly what happened there Yeah, like, just yeah. all the trees were burnt and shaped out like like a crater but there's no actual crater and all that it's bizarre event but that's one of the theories I saw in this documentary was that it was a meteor that exploded before it actually hit the ground that it was yeah, like yeah. vaporized so it created a huge explosion and so that's that was where I was coming from with that yeah, yeah. it's interesting but yeah Mary Jones like I think sort of the her as a leader sort of the idea was that she was inspiring the phenomenon I guess yeah, like, yeah she was kind of egging it on yeah well, I mean, she inspired. No, I mean, like, that she was inspiring is that she was calling on these, like, sky spirits. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's funny because look, when I was searching it, because I, I was like, of course, I thought there has to be loads of stuff online 
about all the how it relates to aliens and stuff. Yeah, I just, I just you Google this and UFO. There's like no results really. Oh really? <laughs> if they are, it's just like they'll mention it in the title. But I was expecting loads of people to talk about oh like cattle dying like. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always kill cattle, but yeah, they love a bit of cattle mutilation. It doesn't actually have much, um, re- like much articles online. It, there's a lot of stuff online about it, but it doesn't really relate to <laughs> UFOs, like which I just thought funny. Like I wouldn't believe it anyway, but oh, I yeah. thought it was funny that there weren't people out there that were really into it. But no, I mean, it's, like it's probably marsh gas, and like there's other like when there was people trying to dispel it. Like this, uh, this sort of explanation is almost as crazy as Mary Jones's explanation. But like from the time, some people claimed that it was barn owls <laughs> that flying over swampy areas, and yeah. the light, the swamp light, was reflected on them. So that it was oh, off actually, their eyes or something. I guess I like they don't really specify. They just say oh, yeah, barn owls yeah. reflecting off barn owls, and or f- actually, I think, like even from like the reflection of the moon on barn owls is oh, one of the yeah, explanations. Yeah. I was gonna say from the description of some like your the journalist's description of it, and he's saying he he could see it, and then he ran over to these like fifteen people, and they didn't know what he was talking about. Mm. That sounds like something like a reflection. That he could yeah, only see from where he was standing. Yeah, exactly. Well, another one is like, like, like to go with the methane that uh, there's some Italian one trying to like dispel, like back when people took Will of the Wisp seriously. There's some scientists that he, he believed that lightning mixed with swamp gases caused it. Which, lightning with swamp gases. Well, I've seen. I have seen lightning. Like if you ever seen lightning on like a bog or a mountain, like anywhere that does have swampy, like they do, it does in the distance. It does light up crazy. Yeah, yeah. So like I can kind of see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, <laughs> I can see a fair. Like in Mary Jones's version. <laughs> oh, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like it's just burning gases, swamp gases is probably it. Like their descriptions probably shouldn't be taken seriously even though they're reported and even though like they saw something but you know how like we've talked we've had so many articles where like just eyewitness accounts can't be taken seriously but there's one just the last thing i'll say about because we need to move on but yeah david david darling which is a great name and this just i just comes from david darling david darling dot info it is just right from his site. Uh, it has been suggested that the people wa- who once lived in these parts over 3,000 years ago may have witnessed something similar. And Not the 3,000. This is Oh, okay, going way back. <laughs> yeah, and interpreting it as a supernatural event. Built stone structures to mark the locations where the lights had appeared. It is at least an intriguing possibility that these and certain other prehistoric monuments were purposely erected close to where unusual energetic events take place on the planet and this in in turn provides at least a plausible basis for the seemingly outlandish claims of links between flight paths of ufos and currents of energies flowing in the earth and the arcane knowledge of lost civilizations that's a good yeah yeah. but yeah drawn on reports in december of 1904 and to march of 1905 when these claims in oh yeah the, the welsh town stopped he he talks about these these same lights and mentions a researcher who plotted on a large scale map the exact location of each sighting of all these eyewitnesses and he then sought uh, the advice of professional geologists who pointed out the existence of major deep seated 
fault called the Mockers Fault, running north to south between the coastal towns of Harlech and Bormat, and passing almost directly under the village of Edrian. So checking like geologist records, he learned the area had been subject to tremors immediately after and or before and after the occurrence of the lights. So, yeah, so that kind of backs up gases escaping and yeah, pretty much like the a minor earthquake under the Welsh town is what he talked about afterwards. There's like I'll, I should I'll just link to that. I mean I said it, but yeah, yeah. I mean it just seems like that's a good enough explanation. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, we've we've time for one more quick little story, which was uh, on the twenty eighth of January, the land speed automobile uh, record they broke the one hundred mile per hour mark. Sounds like a bit of a sketchy record to me. I've, I've like researching this and stuff. I found a couple of kind of mixed reports and things like that. But this seems to be you can see the official one. Just keep in mind that. So this was a uh, uh, 28th of January, nineteen o five. There was the Ormond Beach Auto Races, and this is basically a load of rich guys who had engineers and drivers working for them built these extremely complicated cars that required lots of like adjustments and knob changing all this kind of stuff. So most of the the men who invested in this and were really into it. It was too complicated for them to drive them. You needed a, some an engineering degree to like move these things yeah. and keep them going. Like it wasn't a simple case of like nowadays where you've clutch accelerator and brake, you know. So at the time the standing uh, record was ninety two point three one miles per hour. And on this day the races that record was broken three times consecutively by uh three different drivers. It was broken by uh, Arthur McDonald in his 90 horsepower Napier with a speed of 104.65 miles per hour. The final, uh, another another driver broke it at like 94 miles per hour. He didn't quite break the 100, but he broke the current record. And then Arthur McDonald broke the 100 at 104. The final, but unfortunately unofficial record was by... Um, H.L. Bowden, who drove a specially built car that cost $50,000 to build uh, with a Mercedes engine, and he drove at 109.76 or 109.76 miles per hour. And he broke so he broke the record set by McDonald, but because of the auto club's rules, his car was more than a thousand kilograms, which was a limit set by the club rules. So he wasn't he wasn't granted with the official record. They basically were like, "Oh, you didn't really do." Even though he actually went faster than the other guy, they're like, "Yeah, but not within our rules uh, of your vehicle and like stuff." <laughs> but to me, I kind of think, but that's just a it's a land speed record, so it should just be whoever goes fastest. Yeah, not yeah. the you know same thing. Yeah, I don't I don't understand. That no, I don't really like. get that either. But while researching this, I came across a record, and I only found one article. And it was saying that in July of 1904, there was the Frenchman uh, Louis Rigoli broke the 100 mile per hour in his car. Um, and he did this on Austin Be- uh, Beach, or a beach in Austin, Belgium, uh, because they had to use the straight beach because the roads weren't good enough to get the speed up. Right. And he had a Gorbin Brillet 13.5 litre engined car. <laughs> And he hit 103.561 miles per hour, doing a one kilometer course in only in under 22 seconds. And that's all. That's kind of all I could find about it. That was the only reference. 
it was this of this French guy doing it like six months earlier. But it seems to be there wasn't officials there or something to record it. I don't know what it was. It was kind of like he just did it with his engineers and then it was like, yeah, everybody, we broke the 100 mile per hour record. So there was nobody from, there was the Automobile, Automobile Club de France were the official club who set the rules and your vehicle had to be less than a thousand kilograms and all this kind of stuff. And they ran the Ormond Beach races, auto, or auto races rules and all that kind of stuff. So they were the ones who you had to prove your record for at the time. And from what I can understand, Louis Rigoli just did it with his mates <laughs> in July 1904. So it's, it was unconfirmed then. But I still find mad that they stole it away from your man H.L. Bowden. I read up a little bit on uh, H.L. Bowden and he was badly injured about three years later in a speedboat accident with the driver of the car at the time. Like they built, they started like trying to break records on water, these speedboats, and they had to abandon it when it like exploded <laughs> in the oh. water. That's because of a couple of years later. They were injured, but I think they survived. Did he continue? I oh, yeah, he kept going a little bit. Um, I was really, really hoping that I would find like a really cool story about rivalry between Bowden and McDonald, and how they're on a race to see who could go faster and build better engines and all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't find anything about it. It was all just like I just kept finding the same article kind of rewritten four times by other people, you know, on different websites and that kind of stuff. So it was very, very hard to find, like just a follow-up story and stuff. I'm sure there has to be a novel or a, a book out there about the two of them or like life at the time, but I couldn't find yeah. anything online in terms of articles or uh, that they're just really short news pieces and stuff. So yeah, they're officially the first person to go uh, 100 miles per hour is uh, Arthur MacDonald, but then he was surpassed by Hidal Bowden, but it's not official. <laughs> it's hardly the same... Uh... Arthur Mc... No, it wasn't Arthur McDonald, sorry. It's... Was Arthur McDonald one of the three lighthouse keepers? He might have been, actually. I can't remember. That was a couple of weeks ago, they 1901. All, they all have had very similar names. That sounds... Yeah, yeah. I know there was... Well, there was McDonald. That'd be really funny. Like, he disappeared from a lighthouse and then went to America and broke <laughs> yeah. the land speed. <laughs> and he actually he would have been the one that killed the other two guys. <laughs> yeah. We just accidentally cracked it. Took all their pay to build his first engine. <laughs> no, I think it was Don- I think I think Donald MacArthur. Oh, uh, yeah, actually, I think you're right. That's really funny. <laughs> Donald <laughs> MacArthur and Arthur McDonald. Well, it just sounds like a really obvious yeah, change. Yeah, change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been... <laughs> and he met up with the two boys, the two brothers, the Dolphus and James Hill, who shot the the Marshall. Oh, Those yeah. are the two boys that weren't found. Oh yeah, yeah. Packer um, was on the run at that time too. Well, he wasn't yeah. actually. But oh yeah. Just try, try, like, try desperately to bring, <laughs> try them bring all it all together. together. <laughs> they were all drinking a bar, and then Kerry Nation and came in and smashed <laughs> the place up. <laughs> but, but no, yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't find much more information about that. It was uh, it was a bit of a tough tough one. Like everything I found was on these kind of car websites. People are really into their classic cars, and they just talk about the cars. There is video. There's a video I'll put up on the uh, Facebook page of the actual races, and apparently, oh, cool. apparently, or film news like kind of newsreel footage, and it's Arthur McDonald's car is number five. So if you're watching the video, you see a number five racing by. There's so, there's like some of them they're showing these races, and like the cars are going so slowly that like people are running out and almost like 
trying to push them to help them go by the audience <laughs> and stuff. And then there's like there's really funny moments in the video where there's like these guys are like going out and they're like waving their hats at them and like go on go on like you can tell they totally like bet their money on that car and they're like damn it you need to get in there like the cars are barely breaking like twenty miles per hour and then these guys come along and do like a hundred and nine hundred and four miles per hour. But yeah, no, nothing. See, none of them seem to look like they're going really that fast at the frame rate of the video. But the video could, or the film could have been when they're just like warming up or yeah. something. You don't know. It's hard to tell. But I'll make sure I find it and share it on the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and we should Good. actually start sharing stuff because we keep saying, like, "Yeah, oh, we'll throw that up for you," yeah, <laughs> and sure. then not doing it. <laughs> Most podcasts seem to do that, so it's yeah. <laughs> bring people in. So well, well, once we have, actually have people there. <coughs> Yeah. So, do you have any uh, in quick quick news stories We're from the time period? Very short for time, aren't we? Because we have to. We do. Yeah, it's getting late. Well, I can really quickly include one thing, just because I kind of have to include it, because I want to do something with this, where we're going to come back to this every week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. First of all, this is uh, Arthur, or sorry, this is Albert Hunter. Now, just to explain this uh, albert hunter was not an extraordinary man he was a hired hand who lived in colchester point in vermont he was a spare lighthouse keeper at reef lighthouse so more lighthouse talk and yeah he, he was an, an, an assistant like uh, a second or third assistant maybe in a lighthouse okay um, another lighthouse mystery he pretty much he, he took he just filled in when people wanted time on shore that's okay um, yeah yeah and that's it that's he's not an extraordinary man so why would i be talking about him because <laughs> he did something unexpectedly extraordinary he no no he done absolutely not an extraordinary he is the most are you googling him to try no i'm not no no <laughs> no he, he was not extraordinary like i learned like no he just wasn't but what he did do yeah. and this wasn't extraordinary i promise he kept a daily record of his life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He noted the weather, chores he did, the success of fishing, the going on at the farm of the towns, and this is the daily record of Wow. Hunter. Yeah, because <laughs> I remember when we talked about uh, the Flannan Isles, you even talked about, like, oh, would you just keep a record of ships you saw and stuff? And oh, yeah, yeah. This is what he done. <laughs> saw a seagull. Turned out to be a lost crow. <laughs> yeah. Now I can't actually. I think you see. I don't. I think this might just be the. I, I don't know because I, I can't get online here. So yeah, yeah. We, we'll put up the link or even we'll we'll we'll, we'll gonna, share it. We'll share it. We gonna, promise. We're going to come back to this guy. So we'll mention. We'll link you to it next week if you want to follow it all. But considering, like you know, I think we'll just do the week we're in and catch yeah. up. So we'll catch up with him next week. In next year. year. Yeah. 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 So, right, we're the 30th, so they're from January 22nd. We can skip some. We can skip the ones that, that aren't interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, this is the entry for January 22nd. Snowing near all day. About one inch, I guess. Not very cold. At home all day. Washed dishes. Slept up and had dinner. That's about all. No callers, though. I look for Henry. First slice of ham, which I finished smoking yesterday. Pleasant evening again. <laughs> Writing to Bert Perry and eating popcorn. So that's what he done. <laughs> 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 uh, Monday the 23rd. 
pleasant but very cold. Chopped a little. Chopped a little. Both fingers and toes. Oh, chopped a little, but fingers and toes got. He's not good at punctuation. <laughs> chopped a little, but fingers and toes got cold, so worked in the barn. Cutting up a lot of old poles. I'm now ready to sew up my clean cut wood whenever seems the best. Made a letter to DSP. And then later that evening, ah, Henry's this evening, took supper there and read war news. And he done some more things that evening, but we're going to skip ahead, try and catch up with where we are. So then later, Thursday, January 26th, a very cold day. A strong raw wind until late in the day. Cloudy and threatening in the a.m. <laughs> Clearly, clearing and sunny in the p.m. At home all day. Tried twice to saw wood, but found it too cold, so came to the house and... Sheldon picked the beans. No callers. And I haven't seen a single person all day. Friday, January the 27th. Much warmer. <laughs> Dark and cloudy tonight. So, solid wood for business. <laughs> solid wood for business. Did quite a little of it. I called this evening to read war news. All he does is <laughs> cut wood and read war news. <laughs> like, it seems like he has a, a few friends. Well, I guess these are the guys he's filling in for. Peter, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Peter went to the city and brought my can of milk and bundle of tripe. Since I got home, I warmed some potatoes and fried some tripe and had a nice hot supper. Henry will bring the milk in the morning. Wow. Exciting. A little later. Uh, no, we just go to January 30th because we have to go. A very nice day. Carried some tripe over to Henry. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he was gone to the sawmill. Dave Clark there. Dave Clark there. Uh, Chet came along. I came with him. Sawed wood until 11. Then got dinner. Chet came back. We ate dinner. He wrote mail to be sent by me. I gave him some. <laughs> gave him some apples and a few turnips. Which he forgot to take, so they'll be here next time he comes. I rode with him to Henry's to carry a pail and a basket of swill. Aunt M, I assume that's Aunt Emma, gave me a pound of butter. I was over again this evening to see if Henry was going to the city tomorrow. He expects to go Wednesday. <laughs> Sorry, I have... What compelled him to write all this down? Like, I'm going to cheat and go ahead to February if I can. Oh, yeah. Because I, I have to see... I had the anticipation. If your man gets his apples. <laughs> yeah. Turn up. <laughs> and see if to go to the city. He said he was going to go Wednesday. There's no mention yet. I can't see the apples. No, I don't think he got the apples. Oh, no. But, ah, well, on Wednesday, went to the city. Uncle Rube and his horse. <laughs> the horse is called Henry. Um, <laughs> to the final, sl- the finest slaying I ever saw. Ah, this is a long passage. Like snow, snow two or three times, deep and hard, smooth as a floor. A beautiful day, smoky and sunny like summer. Only the temperature was pretty cool between <laughs> ten and fifteen. The most com- comfortable trip I ever made to the city in winter. Harry Raincoat Richardson's for redressing. Got meat for pies and numerous other things. And that's. There's a bit more there, but I think... And that's a... Yes, cheers news today. (laughs) (laughs) See you in the future. Don't you mean the past?
subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us, and tune in to us every Friday for more of yesterday's news today, where the news is better late than never.